The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Walker. He's the founder of Luxmena Investments, which is a real estate-oriented firm based in Colorado. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Jordan. I'm happy to be here. So let's just start with your background a little bit and uh, what experience you had in real estate that led you to found uh, Luxmana Investments. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, you know, my story is, uh, you know, a simple one. You know, I, I started out with a full-time job. I worked for a high-tech company. And uh, I just slowly started doing real estate deals part-time, and I, I worked my way up to doing larger and larger deals. So my first deal was in 2004. I did a small duplex uh, in South Denver and rented it out, and I owned that deal for about one or two years, and then I actually ended up sitting out the next few years, which I think turned out to be a blessing in disguise based on what we all know about the the market and what happened with real estate in the 2008, 2009, and beyond time frame. Well, I started to get engaged again in the 2010 time frame. I started networking, and I partnered with a general contractor. We scraped a couple single-family homes in a real trendy part of Denver uh, called the Highlands. And we replaced those single-family homes with a three-story duplex. And then we sold each side of that duplex off separately. Before the first one was done, um, in 2011, we did another one just down the street on what we call the Berkeley side. And uh, once I was out of those deals, I started to look at changing my investment model and rather than doing development deals, which tend to tie up your cash for anywhere from 12 to 18 months, I wanted to start focusing on passive income, buying rental properties again. And so that's when, again, I was still uh, employed full-time at that high-tech company, but I started buying single-family homes. And it was in uh, 2013, I started to dabble in doing a bigger deal, so a multifamily deal. And then by January of 2015, I escaped the rat race, as we say. I quit that full-time corporate job, and now I'm 100% focused on my real estate investments. So you're doing it, but you also help other people do it. Is that correct? Yeah, I started doing that uh, last year. Everything that I owned up until uh, 2015 was 100% my own money. But when I started doing the bigger stuff, and when I say bigger stuff, it was in December of last year that I bought a 64-unit multifamily property. And you know, when you get into apartments, obviously you're dealing with a lot larger dollar figures. 
uh, I did bring in some equity partners on that. And that's how that all got started in, uh, you know, working with others and helping them, you know, place their monies into, in, into some real estate investments and still get all the benefits of, of owning real estate, like the, the tax write-offs and, and the passive income, all, all of that stuff. So tell me how you work with clients at Luxmena. If somebody wanted to invest, we're going to describe the detail of how you do it in real estate, but if somebody wanted to invest with you, uh, how does that work? They become an equity partner. You teach them how to do it. What kind of capital is involved? Yeah, you know, uh, typically I like to work with people that have maybe uh, about $50,000 or more to invest uh, just for administrative purposes. But uh, usually what it looks like is there's someone that either has some experience in real estate and maybe they want to learn how to do the bigger apartment uh, or multifamily um, deals. Uh, I'm happy to, uh, you know, work with them and let them, you know, see kind of behind the curtain, you know, how, how you know, the, the day-to-day business and, you know, how taking a deal like of that size down, what that looks like and the, the steps in the process. But there's also people too that, you know, maybe they are retired or they have a full-time job and they're busy. They like real estate, but they they just want to be completely passive. They just want to invest their money in some real estate and sit back and you know receive you know regular distributions. And that's certainly possible as well. It could go you know either way. So what kind of income percent yield can people earn if they invest with you in real estate passively? Well, you know, obviously that varies by deal. You know, but um, I, I'll give you an example of the uh, 64 unit deal that I took down in December. Uh, since since the very first month, I've been paying distributions to my investors, uh, and it, if if the trend continues here over the next couple months, which I don't see any reason why it would not, I will have ended up paying about an 11 percent cash on cash return to my investors in the first year. Now I've modeled this whole old this hole for this property out for about five years. And if all goes well, um, then my investors will get somewhere between low to mid twenties in terms of, um, an IRR. So, uh, there, there, it can be very rewarding to, to own real estate. And of course that's just, uh, you know, a pre-tax look as well. Uh, my investors also get all of the benefits of uh, you know the, the the tax benefits that come with owning real estate, we're doing a rather large renovation to this property, and so as a result of that, when it comes time for them to do their 2016 taxes, uh, there's going to be some significant uh, losses that they can claim as a result of doing uh, a rather large renovation on, on a property. So, so just to understand that, so the money they're getting. Uh, the 11% return is rental income that they're getting. But then when there's a renovation, uh, those costs are offset against the income and there's also depreciation. So what would be the kind of after-tax yield of that 11% cash-on-cash return? You know, I've never calculated that because I believe that probably is going to depend on each individual person's uh, tax um, situation. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I wouldn't even want to go there, but uh, obviously, uh, it's it's icing on the cake, and uh, you know, with with depreciation and being able to write off, you know, the capital expenditures that we made um, during the renovation of the property, it, it is very advantageous. It, it'll bump that return up. Yeah. Let's kind of take a broader view now of of real estate um, and why it, it makes sense to invest in it. I mean, people say in the long run you're going to do better in stocks. 
Uh, real estate has big cycles, as you said. You set out the 2008-2009 downturn. Uh, I mean, some would argue, particularly if you're in the Denver area, which is a very hot market right now, you're buying high, and the only way you make money is by things going higher. Uh, why is real estate you know, not as risky as people think it would be when it's so cyclical? Sure. You know, um, one thing that's great is there's lots of ways to make money in real estate. You know, uh, doing it the way I do with multifamily and, you know, and, and, and rental properties is, is just one way that's worked really well for me. But in general, uh, what I like about real estate is that it's a hard asset. You know, uh, when I go to uh, invest in the stock market, you know, I still have my, you know, old 401k from when I was a corporate employee and stuff like that invested. You know, it's getting invested into funds and companies that I just can't see and I can't touch. You know, I can't pick up the phone and I can't ask the CEO of a company that, that you know, my 401k is invested in, you know, to find out what's going on. I'm not familiar with their products or their services. You know, I'm not intimately familiar with, the, I can't drive by it in, in many cases as well. It's what I like about real estate. It's a hard asset. You know, uh, we can see it, we can touch it, we can drive by it. You know, uh, I think there's, you know, something to be said about that, you know, knowing what you're invested in and, and who you're investing with. Well, the hard asset's good, but hard assets can go down as well as up. So mm-hmm. it's still my question about getting into markets when they've already gone up a lot. Is there a risk in investing in multifamily in a hot market as Denver is now? Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you're you're asking for clarification. Yes, of course, there's always risk with any type of investment. Uh, but uh, the way that I approach, um, you know, underwriting a property or analyzing a property for a possible acquisition is, I'm looking for what we call value add deals. Those are things where, you know, I can look at a property and maybe that property needs some renovations. Maybe the operations of the property as it sits today, maybe there's some room for improvement. Maybe it's not being operated well by the current property management company or the current owner. You know, uh, we all see value differently. And, you know, I look for properties that that I know has some uh you know, locked up potential that that I can go out and and make some capex investment in, and and unlock that and 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 raise rents based on you know the comparables in in the area. So you know, like I said, there's always going to be risk with any type of investment, but I tend to uh, try to mitigate my risk by just looking for very specific opportunities that fit my unique formula for success. So you're looking for a property. Well, you think it's not, it could be uh, made nicer uh, and therefore raise the rents and uh, potentially you're going to sell these properties in the future for capital gains. So that's what you're looking for. Uh, is that something that most people who are not experts in real estate can do or is it better to leave it to somebody like you to figure that out? Well, hey, you know, there's some people that set out to do it themselves and, you know, they're very successful. Um, I think that, you know, I'm going to be biased here and say that, you know, if you're working with someone that has done it before and has a solid track record of of doing this, um, you know, you're going to be better off. But, uh, you know, certainly uh, there there, there are many people that have set out to do this. I was once one of them on their own and, and, and they've seen success. So uh, what is the typical hold period? I assume you're bringing investors in uh, project by project. That's not a fund, right? It's, it's, it's a deal at a time. That's what right. The typical hold period that people should expect uh, on one of the projects that you do? You know, I typically model five years. 
And, uh, you know, that's, that could obviously, you know, change, you know, depending on the size of the investor group as well. Uh, Like on the 64 unit deal, uh, you know, everyone's open minded to holding it longer if, if it makes sense. But I typically model them on a five-year hold period. Uh, Also, you know, somewhere between year two and year five, we also look at uh, sometimes doing a uh, refinance or a supplemental loan on the property, which gives the the investors the opportunity to uh, get some of their capital back and still own the same uh, percentage of uh, of the deal and uh, continue to get cash flow off of that asset. So when you refinance a property like that, you're distributing it, uh, you're, you're getting a lower interest rate, or you're distributing it as a, a one-time dividend to, to investors? How would that work? Well, what we, what we would do in this case is once we've uh, stabilized the property, and what I mean by stabilized is that uh, you know we've done our renovation and we've uh, raised rents, and we have now at least 6 to 12 months of, uh, of, of financials that prove that uh, our renovation was effective and that we were able to raise the income of the property as a result of that. Then what we'd set out to do is based on the new value of the property, based on that net operating income, we're able to go off and get a supplemental loan. And uh, that supplemental loan, the proceeds from that, we can distribute to the investors. Very good. All right, we're going to find out more about how this works. Uh, people can find out more about Mark Walker at his website, which is luxmana.com, L-U-X-M-A-N-A.com. We'll be back after this. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Savvy business owners, learn how auspicious timing can have a positive influence on business decisions and strategies. You can achieve your goals while creating a competitive edge in your given field. Tune into Illuminating Feng Shui with host Kathleen Zamansky, where classical feng shui and Chinese metaphysics work together to help you discover your strengths and use them at the right times. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Walker. Uh, he is the uh, founder and chief executive at Luxmena uh, Real Estate, which is based in Colorado. Uh, his website, you can find out more, is at luxmana.com. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thank you. Tell people what they can find at luxmana.com. Well, uh, I have a blog. So uh, for you know people that are interested in getting into real estate investing, whether it be by yourself or with the help of a sponsor like myself, uh, there's some resources there to learn a little bit more about the tricks of the trade. And uh, you can also learn a little bit, bo- bit more about me as well as uh, you know a glimpse of what my portfolio looks like. Very good. So tell, let's talk about the difference between multifamily real estate, I guess particularly apartment buildings, which is what you do, and doing single-family homes. What are the pros and cons of doing multifamily versus single-family? Oh, boy, there are so many things that I love about multifamily, but I'll highlight maybe three or four of them. I think the obvious one is that with apartment communities, you get economies of scale. I have a a mentor that uh, used to always say to me, the bigger the deal, the easier it is. And I never that never really resonated with me until I started doing apartment investing. And that's because, you know, if you're going to spend the, uh, the, 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 you know, your time on uh, renovating a single family home versus the same amount of time renovating an apartment community, you might as well renovate the apartment community because the uh, pot of gold at the end of that rainbow um, has the potential to be a lot larger. So uh, you get economies of scale. I, I love that about apartments. But, uh, you know, another thing that I love about it, and, you know, Jordan, we alluded to it uh, in the last segment of the show, uh, that is that multifamily properties are, are valued differently. When you buy a single-family home, in fact, for those of you that have ever done an appraisal on your, your single-family home, uh, if you look at that appraisal, you'll see that there's uh, sections where they'll appraise that value based on a sales comparison. They go out and they look at the comps for other homes in the community and what they've sold for recently. There's also uh, something called the cost approach, where appraisers will look at a building and say, how much would it cost us if we had to rebuild this exact same building uh, you know, today. And then the third way is the income approach. And this actually is very rarely used when it comes to residential properties. But when it comes to multifamily properties, it's the primary way that these properties are valued. Uh, it's that income approach. They look at the net operating income. It's basically all the income and all the expenses for the property before capital expenditures and before your debt service. And that number uh, determines, based on a cap rate that they use uh, for the area, what the value of that building is. Now, that's, now, this is a generalization. Obviously, there could be some other factors that might affect the value of the building. But uh, in general, this is how these larger commercial properties are valued. So when we do a renovation on a multifamily property and we're able to raise rents as a result of that, and we're able to decrease the expenses as a result of your CapEx investment as well, our NOI, net operating income, goes up. 
as our net operating income goes up, it creates a forced appreciation effect and the value of our building goes up. And that's when we're able to go out and get those supplemental loans or sell the property for more than what we paid for it. So I love that. Typically, when you have this net operating income number, uh, in valuing the building, you do it a certain uh, number of times that net operating income. It's almost like a price-earnings ratio for a stock. How does that work as to how much people are willing to pay per dollar of net operating income? Yeah, so there's um, what we call a cap rate um, in, in every single area. And cap rate usually takes into account um, the, the market that the asset sits in. And it also uh, takes into account uh, the what we call the class of the asset. So uh, these types of assets are um, ranked as A-class, B-class, or C-class assets. A-class is going to be your brand new construction, very contemporary, you know, high-end construction. Uh, your whereas your C-class properties are typically going to be older vintage properties that uh, appeal more to working class people. And uh, so like, for example, in uh, the state of Texas, um, it's very common for uh, multi, multifamily properties that are C-class to trade for uh, a 7% cap rate. That's a very safe cap rate assumption. And so what we'd typically take is we'd take the you know net operating income of that property and we divide it by 7%. And uh, that's a good general rule of thumb for valuing that property. Why would there be a different cap rate depending on how new or old the building is? Or, you know, it's in class A or class C. Why does that affect the cap rate? Well, obviously, the newer property that you have, uh, you're, you're going to obviously appeal to a, a, a higher paying demographic. Uh, someone's going to pay more for that apartment. At the same time, too, with everything being new, everything from your you know HVAC systems to your plumbing and everything like that, you can expect that you're going to have less maintenance and make ready expenses on your P&L. So those are um, you know going to be uh, have a lower cap rate on it because they're generally perceived as lower risk investments. So a lower cap rate is a higher valued property. Is that right? Um, not necessarily, not necessarily higher valued, but perceived as lower risk, lower risk. So like you say, 7% for a C property, say you have an A property that's new and, uh, you know, in good shape, what kind of cap rate would you typically uh, pay for something like that? Uh, of course, it's going to vary by area, but I'll tell you uh, here in Denver, for example, um, some of your A-class stuff is going for you know three, four percent cap rate. You know, depending on where it's at. Like if you're going to get something in Cap Hill, you know, here in Denver, you're going to look at low single-digit cap rates. Now, some would say that's like a a high PE stock in a certain way, right? It's yes, got a lot of expectations in it, and. Some would say that's risky. You're paying a lot for a high-quality company, a high-quality building, just as like you're paying a lot for Netflix or Tesla or something that's a really hot stock. And then that's actually quite a risky strategy to pay uh, a very low cap rate. Is that correct? Yeah, it is It is correct. And, and that's actually why I personally love the C-class value-add deal. So I typically tend to target C-class uh, assets that have that value add component that we can look at and we can say, hey, this is an older vintage property, but the units haven't been renovated in a while. Maybe the appliances haven't been switched out for 10 or 20 years. Uh, maybe it's been operated poorly. 
you know, that there's a value add component to it. So it I like those upside. kinds of deals. Exactly. That's those are the types of You're deals paying less for it. That's what you're saying. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like buying a value stock as opposed to a growth stock. That's right. That way, right? Exactly. Okay. Now, you, you buy properties in your local area, but you can buy them not where you live as well. Uh, is, is it uh, getting property management firm an important part of the strategy? Because you don't have to be there all the time to watch every moment what's happening in these rental firms. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, property management uh, is extremely important. There are some people that like to, you know, manage their own properties. Um, I tend to lean towards hiring professional property managers to handle the day to the the day to day. You know, collecting the rent, uh, chasing down late late rent. Um, you know, handling those late night service calls uh, that that occasionally come in, and you know, there's definitely um, the need to separate the wimps from the winners when it comes to choosing a property management company for sure. What, what should one expect to pay a property management company that's good uh, in doing the job? What percentage you do as a percentage of the rents? How would you value what they're, they're doing? Well, if you're going to uh, own residential properties, you know, single family homes, then you can typically expect to pay, I'd say, anywhere from 7% up to about 11% is what I'd say the general rule of thumb is. The more single-family properties you own, the better chance you're going to have to get closer to that 7%. Uh, if, but if you only own one or two properties, you might pay closer to that 10 or 11%. And how about on but, multifamily? What would be the um, property rate on multifamily? On multifamily, again, it's going to depend on the size. If you own a large multifamily property, like over 100 units, you might get that between 3 and 4%. Uh, and I'd say if you own something between 50 and uh, you know 100 units, you're probably going to be somewhere between 4 and 5% on that management. Just so, a so general that, rule. That, that's where the economies of scale come in because there's more headaches if you have 100 tenants. But uh, you're, you're getting a lot more rents uh, from the same space. Is that the idea? That, that is right. And, you know, um, back to, you know, the question you asked me a little bit ago, too, about what I love about multifamily. Uh, another thing that I love about multifamily is the management model. Uh, you do get the economies of scale. And uh, you typically pay that lower uh, property management fee. Now you do pay the payroll separately in a multifamily model, but uh, but what's nice too about multifamily property management is all of the income of the property, things like late fees, admin fees, you know, you name it, uh, pet fees. There's certain fees that a residential property manager is going to keep, right? Because they're chasing down late rent, for example. So they're going to keep the late fee, right? But in a multifamily model, What's nice is that all of that income, even late fees, stays with the property. So you get the benefit, and that all contributes to your, your net operating income as well. So say you're paying a fee of like 4 or 5% as kind of an average. That's mm-hmm. taking away from your net operating income, uh, but you're saying it's worth it not to have the headaches to have them do it. Is that the idea? Yes, definitely. Yeah, when it comes to residential as well, yes, um, it, it, it's a huge you know, thing that, uh, and plus, you know, they're paying their own payroll. It's their, it's their payroll that's going off and chasing that rent in the residential model. So it, it is appropriate for them to, uh, to, uh, to keep that, that income or have that be passed through, um, passed through income. 
But in the multifamily model where your staff, people on your payroll are the ones chasing the the late rent and things like that, uh, you know, drafting up the leases and things, uh, it is appropriate for that income to stay with the property. Mm-hmm. So is this something that you recommend? Uh, if, if you get somebody involved with a property, or say they want to do it themselves and you're helping them, you will recommend property management firms wherever the property is located? Absolutely. And the reason is, is because, you know, these people are dedicated full time and they're experts in, you know, uh, managing the property and managing the, the residents. You know, um, I, uh, I think it's also important to keep in mind that with a property manager, you're not just you're not just um, investing in a person to do these things. You're investing in their systems you know, things like what happens if someone doesn't pay their rent by a certain point in the month? How do you move forward with the eviction? You know, having the legal, you know, staff and teams in place to deal with that and, you know, uh, things like that. You know, you're buying their systems and that's where it's really important to screen them very well. This is not something an individual wants to learn on the job. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's just too much room for, you know, time is money. It's especially true when it comes to real estate. And if it becomes necessary to evict someone, you want to do that as quickly as legally possible because otherwise you're losing money. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mark Walker. Uh, He is the founder at LuxMena.com, which is an investment real estate firm uh, based in Denver, but they do projects around the country. Uh, You can find out more at his website, LuxMena.com, L-U-X-M-A-N-A.com. We'll be back after this. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network having a lawyer in your court is always a good idea each week wagner and winnick on the law helps you sort out the legal issues and questions in a forum with judges lawyers and policy experts answering your questions and discussing your personal rights within the legal system Law School Dean Mitchell Winnick, along with law professor Stephen Wagner, will discuss the sometimes ever-changing laws and policies to keep you in the know. Listen every Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. If you don't know the law, know a lawyer. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Do you realize that the root of your challenges lie within you? It's time to find out more about coaching and how it can help both you and your business. Coaching for Real with Ronald Graves will help you gain a deeper level of self-awareness to find the answers inside yourself. Our guests are business professionals just like you who agree to a coaching session on our radio program. Tune into Coaching for Real live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Walker. Uh, he is the founder of Luxmena, which is a real estate-oriented company for investors based in uh, Colorado. His website, luxmena.com. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thank you very much, Jordan. So in putting a deal together, tell me the pros and cons of uh, how you find the right lender to help work with you through the whole process. Oh, this is so incredibly important. Uh, and whether or not you're investing in residential properties on your own or whether or not you're doing larger multifamily properties, it is incredibly important. So let me start with the uh, the residential you know, properties. Um, you know, a, a lot of... Uh, investors that I know that are starting out, uh, they get going and uh, they hit a snag when it comes to uh, getting their uh, properties financed. And that's because your typical uh, single family home lender or loan originator is um, essentially just an originator and they're turning around and they're selling your loan uh, on the secondary market after they've originated it. So uh, for those of you that may not know, the secondary market, um, one of the most popular names is Fannie Mae, right? And so uh, lenders need to uh, abide by Fannie Mae's lending requirements as they underwrite a loan. Well, uh, there's different loan programs and Fannie Mae typically requires that you're not allowed to have more than four loans. Sometimes under certain programs, uh, you can have up to 10 loans. But if you're wanting to build or scale out a uh, rental property portfolio, you're eventually going to hit a snag, whether it be at four loans or 10 loans. And by the way, that number includes your own personal family loan, your own personal residence home, um, home loan. So if you own a home yourself, you you only have three, maybe only three left. But there is um, one question that you can ask a lender right as you uh, you know start to engage them to save you a lot of time, and that is, are you a portfolio lender or what we sometimes call a balance sheet lender? What that means is that that lender is not just an originator; they are actually going to keep your loan on their own balance sheet after they have originated it. So they are not subject to the same Fannie Mae requirements that everyone else is. Now, that meaning they can be looser? Meaning they can give you better terms than what Fannie Mae would require? They, they, they can. They, they can. Um, but I want to be careful with what I communicate you know, in terms of looser, in terms of the requirements. Oftentimes, they're, they have very similar underwriting requirements in terms of you know, debt service coverage ratio and stuff like that. But what's different is they won't necessarily cap you on the number of loans that you are allowed to have. Another common thing that they uh, won't discriminate against sometimes what we call uh, non-warrantable condos. That's a very specific thing where sometimes a condo association, if they have any pending litigation or they have more than 50% uh, of the units inside the community, um, if they're not owner-occupied or they're rentals, then uh, Fannie Mae won't even touch those, uh, those, types of, uh, those types of assets. They call them non-warrantable condos. So a portfolio lender is definitely uh, more flexible when it comes to things like that. So are there a lot of portfolio lenders out there to choose from, and how do you choose amongst portfolio lenders? Who, how do you get the best terms? 
there's not a ton of them out there, but uh, you know, to shorten your uh, your search, um, you might start by trying to find a uh, you know a lender that's maybe a local lender. They're 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 not going to be one of the large you know uh, national banks like a, a Chase or you know, uh, someone like that, that's not going to be a portfolio lender. Because for the most part, those big companies are going to sell it to Fannie Freddie, right? That's right. That's right. They just uh, churn out those loans as quick as they can. And then they turn around and they sell those loans on the secondary market and, uh, and move on to the next. But a, uh, a smaller local bank, you know, is typically a good place to start. Uh, they're typically... Um, you're more likely to find a portfolio lender amongst, you know, uh, someone like that. Like, for example, anybody that's in Colorado, I'll tell you, uh, First Bank of Colorado is a portfolio lender. They hold a number of my loans, have been a fantastic lender partner. Uh, A&B Bank is another one here in Colorado that uh, that is also a portfolio lender. And these are obviously bank names that uh, you may not recognize, and that's because they're more local uh, or state banks. And, and and you're going to find a you're more likely going to find a portfolio lender with those guys. People are used to getting mortgages on the residential houses, maybe putting down twenty percent and borrowing eighty percent. Is it similar with multifamily? How much do they typically want as a down payment, and how much leverage is typically involved in buying a multifamily rental unit? Yeah, when it comes to residential, yeah, they're still going to want you know twenty to twenty five percent, and the same is true with with multifamily. Uh, you know, um, multi, so, so let me just say something real quick too about multifamily. There's another thing I love about multifamily is your debt options are so much more attractive. Uh, but of course you have to have the experience, uh, you know, in the eyes of the lender, a track record of doing these types of deals and, you know, restabilizing and renovating properties to be eligible for them. But, uh, you know, typically, um, you can get non-recourse debt with multifamily properties. And yes, you can, in, in markets, you know, like larger metros, like say Dallas, Fort Worth, Denver, Colorado Springs, any of those bigger cities, bigger markets, you can absolutely find financing that they'll do 20% down on. But Explain mar- non-recourse, if you would. Yeah, non-recourse um, typically means that uh, they look to the property to meet the debt coverage um you know, requirements uh, rather than the individual. At the same time, if anything was ever to go wrong with that loan, they're not going to come after the guarantor, uh, you know. In, um, so you, you don't know, have to do a personal guarantee on something like that? You don't have to, you, you do have to sign as a guarantor that you're going to, you know, oversee the operations of the property. Uh, there are typically what we call bad boy carve-outs, basically like, if you sign on this loan and there's fraud involved or something like that, then yes, they are going to come after you. But in any other circumstances, they they are they they won't come after you if anything was to go bad on the deal. Which is different from an individual one where they're going to come after you. Absolutely, you have to provide a personal guarantee there, and uh, if 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 the bank loses money, they're going to come after you personally to pay them back. And this is typically done through a company. Not through an individual. Is that when you're buying a multifamily, you set up a company to do it, or is this done through as an individual? It is. It's it's typically done as um, they want a a single asset entity, meaning that that one entity um, or company holds one property. And how do interest rates on multifamily apartment buildings compare to what people could get on a residential uh, buying their own home? 
Well, uh, I'll tell you right now, uh, rates have continued to be low on a multifamily property. Uh, you're seeing stuff depending on the market, you know, mid markets around four and a half percent. You can get down closer to uh, 4% on some of your larger multifamily properties in, in uh, you know, large markets like DFW or Denver. So you're using, like you're using the loan to buy the property. But where do you come up with the money if you need to do a major renovation? You're buying it in the first place, knowing you need to renovate it. Do you take the capital expenditure money from the loan, or is there some other source for that? Oh, you can do it both ways. It uh, depends on what kind of loan product you go with. But I'll tell you what, I absolutely love the loans that allow me to do what we call loan-to-cost. Um, there's two big buckets um, or categories of loans. One is a uh, loan loan to uh, value, which basically will only loan um, to acquire the building. Then you're on your own for those capital, um, those capex investments. Uh, but if you get a loan that w- that's loan to cost, they'll actually take the cost of the building and they'll take the cost of your renovation, what you plan to invest in that building, and they'll give you, you know. 75 or 80% of that amount instead. Those are the loans that I love, getting the most leverage. So, so you're putting down less money, getting more, and but you're going to get a return on the money once the renovation is done is what you're saying. That's right. That's right. And, and that's def- this is definitely a more sophisticated uh, debt option. So you definitely want to know what you're doing. You definitely want to have a plan in place. Uh, with with some milestones that you that you know you're going to hit before you go seeking this kind of debt option, but yes, what what happens is the the bank will give you the money to uh, acquire the property, and then they'll usually take a preset amount based on your capex budget, and they'll put that off into an escrow account, and then over the next six months to a year or however long it takes you to renovate that property, they'll uh, they'll allow you to take draws off of that escrow account that they've set up for you. So what happens, you're talking about a lot of leverage, which improves your returns, but what happens in a 2008-2009 situation where uh, values drop sharply, maybe a lot of people don't make their rents, the, the income goes down. You, you, it sounds like you kind of sat out the last one, but what, how would you deal with a similar situation in the properties you're in now if that were to happen again? You know, I keep um, all of my properties extremely well capitalized, and that's uh, you know you, you always you always need to prepare for the storm, right? Just in case something like two thousand eight happens again, and I believe that's the best thing you can do, right? Is you know go ahead use uh, use leverage to uh, maximize your return, but at the same time, don't ever go in undercapitalized. You know, have plenty of cash and reserves. And uh, that's another thing, too, that a lot of the uh, commercial lenders are doing as well. Uh, they are actually requiring, uh, you know, reserves um, to be, you know, money, you know, part of your mortgage payment to be put into a reserve account every single month. Uh, but even beyond that, I keep, um, I keep our uh, entity very well capitalized just to be prepared in case of, uh, you know, uh, a market, you know, something happens with the market where maybe a rents drop or something like that. Is uh, the it much tougher to get commercial loans now than say before two thousand eight? You know, I can't speak from experience on that, um, but I will tell you that in general, uh, to get a larger commercial loan, especially a non-recourse option, the bank is going to be looking to you uh, to have the necessary experience and track record. They're not going to lend you, you know, give you this kind of loan product if it's your first multifamily deal. 
you know, they want to see that you have the experience and the track record to renovate a property, restabilize it, and, and achieve the results that you claim you are going to achieve. So that's why you're saying somebody wanting to get into this for the first time can't do it on their own. They have to go in with a sponsor like you that's done it before. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, this is not something people should start off on their own is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. When it comes to doing these larger deals, um, you know, I highly recommend that you get a sponsor and I won't even just recommend it. I'll say that the lender's typically going to require it uh, because of that requirement. There, there's, there's three things that a lender looks at when it comes to uh, underwriting um, these, you know, a, a person to get this kind of loan. And uh, one of them, one of the most important things is their experience. And what are the other two? The other two are they want to see that you have liquidity to make at least 12 mortgage payments post-close. And they also, uh, the, the last thing is that they want to uh, see your net worth be equal to or greater than the loan amount. Very good. So they've got some safety there as well. Very Absolutely. good. All right. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mark Walker. Uh, he is the founder at Luxmena, uh, which is a real estate-oriented company based in Denver. They do projects around the country. You can find out more at his website, luxmena.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you are in the sales field or maybe don't even know that you are, you need a plan to be successful. Every day we are engaged in business and don't even realize that it all comes down to sales. We all have something to say and need to motivate others to the same way of thinking. Sales Execution Optimization, the new SEO, is the show that gets you thinking and speaking whatever the product or service. Host Bill Bush will give you the tips you need to succeed. Listen every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Mark Walker, 
is the founder at LuxMena.com, which is a real estate-oriented firm based in Denver. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thanks, Jordan. So you say you have a guide you want to uh, offer to people if they want to uh, investigate further. Explain what that is and how they can get it. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's just a way of saying thank you for listening. For anyone that's interested in learning more about multifamily properties, perhaps you're already a real estate investor that's looking to make the transition into multifamily, or perhaps you're just curious. I'd love to uh, make a guide available that I wrote. It's called 10 Not-So-Obvious Ways to Boost Your Multifamily Property NOI. And you can get that by going to www.luxmana.com dot com forward slash Jordan Goodman and Luxmana is spelled L-U-X-M-A-N-A dot com. And that's sent as an ebook to people? Is that the way that works? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like an ebook. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Very good. Oh, well, that'll be helpful in giving people some guidance here. So let's talk about doing uh, projects in your own state where you live. We can go and take a look at it versus mm-hmm. going out of state. What are the pros and cons of staying in-state versus going other places? Well, again, I think that's going to depend on where you live, right? In fact, um, I get a lot of, uh, you know, uh, offering memorandums when properties hit the market. You know, uh, that's essentially the marketing package that uh, brokers use to market a a property. And I saw one out of California a couple weeks ago, and they were literally marketing this property at about a 2.5% cap rate. And and for those of you that live in, in California, that's pretty typical. You know, uh, the market the market out there is incredibly hot. So, you know, what that says to me is the only way to make money on that type of investment is to either go in with incredibly low leverage or pay cash for the property, you know, straight out. But uh, maybe someone lives in California and, uh, you know, they, 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 they're looking for a, a better return than that. And the only way to get that kind of return is to look out of state. You know, that's certainly a possibility, um, and uh, and that's why you would do it. That's why you would look out of state. And so what are some of the states, I mean, you're in a hot market now, Denver, where you're going to have very low cap rates because things are going very well and you have high rents, but some would want to be kind of a contrarian or value player and buy where things aren't quite as hot as that. Where would be some places around the country that you would think would have offer good value today? Well, uh, that's exactly why I went to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, was because, you know, Denver's market has taken off, and it's it's definitely a seller's market, which is fantastic, by the way, because I still own a lot of stuff here in Colorado. But, uh, but in terms of acquiring and doing my next project, I went to Irving, Texas, which is a... Uh, it's in Dallas County, so it's it's part of the Denver, or excuse me, the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Um, you know, the the cap rates there were a little stronger uh, than they were in Denver at the time. Uh, other markets that I like as well um, right now is San Antonio, uh, which is you know you just go down uh, Interstate 35, you know, from Dallas Fort Worth, and uh, you'll get to San Antonio eventually. That's another great market. Um, you know, looking at some value add deals out there as well. What are the criteria you're looking for in a value market uh, where it's going to be out of state, where you're not going to be able to be there to watch what's happening? Well, typically what I look for is I look, uh, you know, in market from markets that have, um, you know, uh, housing shortages, whether they're, they already have a housing shortage or they're projected to have a housing shortage. Uh, and then the other thing that I look at that's oftentimes overlooked is uh, the local laws. You know, I'm looking for states that, uh, that treat landlords nicely. 
in other words, uh, what happens if someone doesn't pay their rent? Um, am I going to be able to uh, address that issue very quickly? Or is that something that the local laws prevent me from addressing? Uh, or it could take, you know, six months to even a year to get a non-paying uh, resident out of my, out of my property. So I, I look for landlord-friendly states. So how about uh, places in California that might have rent control? Would you just avoid something like that altogether? I tend to avoid, uh, you know, areas like that as well. But like I said, there's lots of ways to make money in real estate. There's some people, I think like San Francisco is one of those cities, I think. Um, There's some people that, you know, are very successful in San Francisco. So I'm not going to knock them, but I'm going to say it's not for me. Yeah. So uh, in in general, you're... You're, you're thinking the real estate market's going to hold up well no matter what's happening in the overall economy because it's based on local values and uh, local rental income. Is that right? Yeah, you know, I think there's always a deal to be had, you know, even uh, even in a down market. You know, if you if you know what you're looking for, if you stick to your acquisition criteria, and most importantly, you know how you're going to unlock the value, you'll always find a deal in real estate in, 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 any, in any state of market. So let's kind of sum up here. So for somebody who's got money, say 50000 minimum, uh, who's got it in stocks yielding a small amount that are volatile or maybe in CDs or money market funds yielding almost nothing these days, what would be the advantage of working with you in putting it into real estate as a passive investment to earn a higher yield? Well, um, I definitely look for assets that, again, have a value-add component. I'm what you'd call a cash flow investor. So um, I'm looking for cash flow, and if I get appreciation as a result of that cash flow, then that, to me, is really icing on the cake. I'm not expecting any properties to go up in value just because you know the properties around it are going to go up. I, I, I do deals with that value-add component that, that fit my unique uh, value-add um, you know, capabilities. And so, you know, I'm definitely going to uh, be looking to uh, place money into uh, deals like that uh, for, for people that are interested in cash flow and also getting the benefits, the tax benefits of owning real estate. Just briefly tell us what the tax benefits are again. You're getting this rental income, but how is that sheltered by capital expenditures or depreciation? Yeah, let me let me look at the uh, Irving deal, the 64-unit apartment complex I closed in December. That was one of those deals where I was able to get a loan that gave me loan-to-cost, so I was able to finance my planned uh, capex investments as well. So uh, my investors in 2000, when they go to file their 2016 returns, uh, they are going to have um, a nice big fat loss on paper, and that's because we invested about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in renovations in that property all of which were covered by the loan. So we all got cash flow off of this property throughout the year. Uh, but, uh, but on, you know, on paper, uh, there was a loss because of all of the capex that was invested and uh, rolled up into the loan. Those are considered passive losses that have to be offsetting other passive income or are those active losses that could offset, say, somebody's salary? That uh, that is going to depend on your unique tax situation. Um, if you're able to, uh, you know, do do the latter, we're able to offset, uh, you know, other income um, like a salary or W two income. But um, it's certainly possible depending on your unique tax situation. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Mark Walker. He's the founder at Luxmena Investments, based in Colorado. Again, you can get a. a free copy of the guide to uh, investing in multifamily the way he talked about 
at luxmana.com backslash Jordan Goodman. So thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Mark. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity. And thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.